On today's episode, Dave interviews Emmy Award winner Kevin Dorff. Kevin has written for Late Night with Conan O'Brien, The Tonight Show with Conan O'Brien, and also for Dislocated, Parks and Recreation, and The Office. On location at the LA Comedy Improv Fest, I'm Ian Foley, and this is ADD Comedy. Uh, we were talking backstage, and I kept telling you to shut up, because there's everything I wanted to talk to you about. We were talking about backstage. And I'm still shutting up. All right, good. You can start talking. Oh, thanks. Any minute you want. Um, the idea we said uh, backstage, I was talking about how it's weird being out here. And you said what you're used to doing is at 10.30 in the morning, having an idea and it being on, and it being on air that night. Yeah. yeah. I worked for nine years in New York and, uh, for Late Night with Conan O'Brien. And that was a really typical experience for us. Right. Coming in in the morning, well, mid-morning, sometimes late morning. Because after all, you're living in New York. <laughs> and uh, you know how hard it is to get started before Where 11. did you live in New York? Lived at uh, Waverly and Mercer, right in the, right sort of almost halfway over to the East Village, right. right by NYU, so. God, I love it over there. I it's, fucking love it over there so much. I know, I know. I don't know why we're not all there now. That's the way I feel about it. Anybody doing the Jimmy Fallon business, wait, not Jimmy, uh, yeah. Jimmy Fallon, right? Right? Is that right? Yeah, Jimmy's going to be doing uh, Tonight Show from New York. Right. And is that crew... Does he hold on to his writers, or does he? How does that work? I think uh, you know. I can't speak for that situation. Don't not knowing you know not working for the show, but knowing that game a little bit. Right. I feel like those guys, whoever they are, whether it's Steven or Jimmy or uh -huh. any anyone Conan at all, they like to travel with as many of their writers as they can. If they're right. going to move or move move around, they're going to try to take those writers. I mean, to them, those writers are there. They're their option writers, you know. I mean, they 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 keep them rich in options, right? Because they have to be. They're the ones that have to get out there in front of everybody every night. And sometimes uh, it's easy to forget that they have a really hard job in getting certain people to talk. Some not everybody. You're is, saying the writers are having a hard oh, job. Oh no no you're no! The writers have a great job. It's, right. The writers have a blast. But you're saying like Jimmy and all those yeah. people have a hard those time. Those hosts have a hard time. Right talking sometimes to people who you'd think would be a lot more personable and, you know, and, and lucid, and they often aren't. So they have to really dig and dig and dig, and I think that they really come to value their writing staff because those, like, if the writing staff is good, they just keep supplying that host with, with viable options because there's ne there's, you're always going past plan B to C to D to Z. You're never, plan A is never on the Oh, bus. that's so funny you're saying plan A because we were talking, I was talking to uh, Neil uh, Flynn about plan A and how fucked up plan A is. Mm. And you gotta go, fuck plan A. And yeah. if you go plan A, it's like, really? Are we gonna talk about plan A? It's like, yeah, we're gonna talk about plan A. It's like, all right, you know it's going away. You know, plan A, the first thing to go is plan A. Yeah, uh, I, I think you're it's, right it's no, you're gonna get up and go, <laughs> plan A, I'm plan A. You're not no, you're plan, plan B. Right, right. <laughs> so, you know, like, uh, I think that that's the first casualty of, of every career is Valuing, you know, and, and investing in Plan A. Of course, right. you should have it. Just have it. But did you have get it? Ready to oh, go. Yeah, of course you had it. You, of course you had it. I didn't. Well, well, what I, what I mean is, you like you. I know that you 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 came from uh, from IO from Improv Olympic. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's what it was called back then. And then you went to IO. Yeah. Did and for me, I did the same thing where I was at Improv Olympic. Now it's called IO. And then I went to Second City, Jerry yes. Company. I, and that, I, went the, I tread the same path you tread. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then, and while you're in the touring company, Second City, you're going, this is not plan A, it's what's happening. 
Mm -hmm. So there is no plan A. Uh, well, the getting into the touring company was certainly the next thing I was th looking forward to and wanting but to be a part Chicago of. But you're a Chicago guy. Yes, I grew up there. So a lot of us who are Chicago guys never didn't have to go from uh, like Lab Richard Label, who had to go from Michigan to Chicago, right. or Mick Napier, who had to go from Ohio, or right. oh no no Indiana yeah. to like we were there already, and for us it wasn't a big deal. It, it, it wasn't a big deal in that way. We didn't have to move or, you know, or change our lives too radically to do it. But I didn't know there was a touring company until someone told me I was in, a, in one. I was rather hoping it, it just goes, oh, I do improv for a while. I learn about it. And if I'm, if I'm skilled and, 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 you know, and determined, and if someone notices me, I'll get to do what Dave Rosowski is doing right now. You were on stage at the time when I was in class. And I, would, I, was, you know, I was rather hoping you were going to take off pretty soon and I could, <laughs> I could possibly take off means, help out. Right? <laughs> I could help out. Because you know you'd always play the short Jewish guy roles. <laughs> right, right. Um, exactly. Really be, I was be like, like, I know I can kill it. <laughs> you can kill it. But here's the thing. I, I, I found out there was a touring company. Right. And, and for the next two years, uh, I was in it. And I got to understudy. I got to perform with you. Right. And it only, all it did was more sort of keenly frustrate and inspire me at the same time. Right. My level well, you, of dissatisfaction and desire went up astronomically to be on the resident stage. Right. And when it became unbearable, I quit touring company and figured I was done at Second City. As it turns out, only within a few weeks they had an opening that they needed plugged. They put me in there temporarily and I just right. figured if I go in there temporarily, I'm going to stay. Right. I'm going to do everything I can to stay here. Oh my God. And when you do that, it could go one of two ways. Oh yeah. And for you, it went one way. Yeah. And I know somebody else who went another way and it really fucking killed him. Oh yeah. Because it was like, he's going, are you kidding me? Rosowski goes in instead of me? <laughs> and wow. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's what happens. And you can't be attached to it in any way like, I'm being fucked over because this is just the way that it fucking is. Right. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's kind of, if you're like, uh, well, if, you, if you're the type of improviser that's, uh, that uh, is only beginning your career or only sort of getting started and you might, might not consider yourself a completely savvy person. I wasn't. Uh, I probably arguably uh, uh, still am not, but you don't know that there is, the, like, what you just said is the truth. This is the way it goes a lot of the time. Right. Actually, most. I wish that somebody would say that. I wish that, that, that when someone, when, when you're I don't know when you would happen, when this would happen, because it's it's open to everybody. But somebody go look, and I've said this before in the podcast. Somebody stopping you and saying, "Look, whatever you think is going to happen, that's not going to happen, and it's okay." Well, there was, and I think I probably comes up in every one of the podcasts that you do. But I think Dell was definitely letting us know that he was saying it in such terminology that it didn't come out quite so. That's really awesome, right? But he really did say. It didn't go well for me. Right. It didn't go the way I thought it would. And right. every time I thought that I was looking disaster in the face, I found out that there was something great, you know, right behind the curtain. That's really true. He did say that a lot. And he now, also he didn't just say it, but those of us who were watching him at that time were going, Well, Dell's just the guy that comes up here and talks about I met Letty Bruce and all that you know, um, and to watch him do that and then suddenly like, what do you mean you're working with the Goodman Theater right now? You're supposed to be done. Yeah. And you're playing Polonius. Right, right. You know? And based on the story you just told us, you should be dead by now. Uh -huh. And instead, you're opening a show downtown. Right. So if, I mean, again, I'm like, I'm not the quickest, you know, guy in the room there, and I'm, I'm, I can't figure out why this is happening. Right. Why this, and I guess what he was just trying to illustrate was it ain't over 
you know, just because you think it's over. Right. If you're resourceful, flexible, open-minded, and curious, and more than anything, completely determined to uh, move forward, uh, you know, and. And you know how Dell embraced mistakes and, 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 and encouraged and, and ordered us, really, uh, to uh, do the same. Right. He was always, every one of his stories, and you were saying, you know, we all have our, our, our joke reference about, you know, I was with Lenny Bruce, I was with Lord Buckley type stories. Right, the Lord Buckley was huge. But every one of those stories almost always involved a big mistake or a big problem or <laughs> right, a big exactly. disaster. Right, right, like right. None of them were all about, you know, we went out golfing and it turned out great. You know? <laughs> but who wants to tell that story? Right, they aren't, those I, aren't good stories. But I, and, I, and I also believe that whenever anybody has a crisis in their life, that crisis looks like a crisis where you are, but a year from then, that's going to fucking be a great story that you're gonna be able to tell somebody. And it's hard to live within that and to say, of this fucked up situation, but I'm gonna be honest right now, this is a horrible thing that happened to me the other day. I wasn't gonna say it. I got, I went, I was in Chicago. Mm. I had food that I should not have eaten. Oh my I God. I was at the ball game. Right. I had food. Yes. This is a horrible fucking story. This has been happening to me lately. No, this, what happened is not, I wish, I hope, knowing where you live, <laughs> I hope this didn't happen Okay. To you. All right, because this is way, this is TMI, and if you are TMI, pr against TMI, then turn this off and turn on something nice. Um, so I'm, I'm, I go to uh, I go to the ball game and I have I think I had a hot dog I had a hot dog and I had a pretzel that's it I'm, I'm guessing I, you're on the north side yeah north okay. side of course I'm on the north side go to the north side I have a, and then my family we go to Lumenlani's Pizza and I have a couple of drinks and I have some pizza and then I go to a friend I go to a, a cafe Kopi Cafe on Clark Street I'm doing a podcast interview with somebody uh, Kevin Mullaney and then I have a couple glasses of wine walk over and I'm thinking I'm going to walk home from Andersonville to West Rogers Park. So it's about a, maybe a two hour walk, maybe mm. an hour and a half walk. So I'm walking down, and this is one of these things. The reason I'm telling this story is, all right, so I, <laughs> I'm walking, and suddenly my stomach does this. And it's that feeling of, dude, and you go, can I make it? And you go, you gotta make it. And just breathe through it. And yeah. it's a great opportunity for you to breathe through it. Mm -hmm. I'm telling this story. So I'm walking down Pratt, and my stomach goes, no, no. Yes, Kevin. Yeah, it happened. Yes, right there. A I had to find a little backyard, right. and I had to shit in someone's backyard. <laughs> and I and it was like, God damn it. Okay, all right. And I'm and I'm and I'm sober, and I'm shitting on someone's tree in their yard. Now I look at that and I go, and, I, and I'm so present to these kind of stories. And first yeah. off, my first thought is, there's one guy that I always have to call if I shit my pants or I piss my pants or I vomit in the car. There's one rich guy. Rich Label. No, no. But Rich Label is a guy that he and I have a, a thing that we okay. talk about where we always say duty, wherever it's going to be. Okay. But anyway, so I, I, sh I, 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 I do that and I'm like, just walk home, just walk home, walk home. With your cheeks as tight as they can. And I walk away and immediately a cop car drives by. If he was there a second earlier, that would have been a different story. Oh, yeah. But here's the thing, I look at that story and I don't say, God, I wish that didn't happen. I look at that story and I say, that happened. Mm -hmm. And if you wanna look at things in your life and go, that was a bad experience, or if you wanna look at things in your life and go, that was an experience, and Dell's stories mm -hmm. did, they, ne they never were, we played golf and it was great. It was more like, you know, whatever that yeah. was. 
And I love those stories. And I think that we all get the opportunity to look at things that would happen in our lives and go, okay, I can look at that as a bad thing or I can look at that as a good thing. Uh, and, uh, you, and your story uh, you know, has uh, a component of what a lot of Dell stories often did. And it was always this idea of, in a, in a moment of humiliation, uh, what is the dignified move? Uh -huh. uh, I always kind of felt like that was a big uh, message of his. Uh, I do recall him telling us uh, his metaphor about, or, or, or relating to us a metaphor about diving off a high dive and finding out there's no water in the pool. Mm -hmm. This is a very bad, you know, I'm not doing it as theatrically as Dell would have done it, but to paraphrase, he said, when, you are off, when you're diving off the high dive and you get to that third turn or whatever it is on the way down, and you notice that there's no water in the pool, whatever you do, hold form. <laughs> and I, I've applied that and thought about that and mm -hmm. contemplated that for many years now, probably 20 years. And I, this is from a guy that knew failure firsthand, that knew setbacks. You knew, or are you talking about Dell? Oh, Dell. Right. Del. For, I mean, this, this is coming from a person that had experienced huge setbacks, many self-created. Right. Uh, and that's another thing that kind of a, relates to your story too about you know a self-created moment of, of trouble right but like Dell's crises whatever they may have been over the years sometimes they were inflicted on him and sometimes he inflicted them on himself but his I think his over that one of the most stronger message especially from that high dive metaphor was in that moment of staring disaster in the face just hold form the last thing you have is your dignity don't let it go it's free. Right. <laughs> so, you know, right. you can't, I mean, you had to do what you had to do in that person's yard. Right. Oh, and by the way, it was a horrible rainstorm the next night. <laughs> so that all that was cleaned up. All, yeah, well, it was all cleaned up. And that was the thing that I was looking at going, oh, someone's going, fucking rain. I'm like, thank God for yeah, rain. Because then I'll still have my dignity and nobody has right, to go, right. well, uh, mowing the lawn going, what? Right. Uh, See? What? Nature bats last. Exactly. Always nature does. bats last. And in that case, does. nature bat, batted cleanup. <laughs> um, <laughs> see what I did there? So, uh, I, you know, uh, the, that, but, but Dell's story, he had a story about, you know, putting coleslaw in his underwear in order right. to see, to, to be again, you know, when he was playing some part. Yep. But he also had, there was a story about Dell that Carl Gottlieb told about uh, when he was in San Francisco and, and people were downstairs and they were listening to Dell walk around upstairs. They lived below him and they would hear Dell walking around, walking around. And walking around, and they're going, and they would hear him tumble, and it's like walking around, walking around, and they're like, hear him tumble, and they all went up, and they're like, what's going on? And he's like, I found the magic spot, and I spot, found a spot on the floor that, that takes you to this other plane, and they watch him walk around, and, like, and fall down, and they're like, what the fuck is going on? And what they noticed was there was a frayed. Uh, electric cord, mm -hmm. and he kept stepping on it, right. and that's what's making him go <laughs> and falling down. But he, but that story is so beautiful because it is, it it says so much about Dell. Right. What his neighbors saw as faulty wiring, he thought was a portal to another plane of existence. Right. And I don't know that he was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> right. I just think it's it, it's just it was his. Encouragement to, to me at a young age, I, I met Del when I was 22, so uh -huh. it was his encourage, encouragement towards me, uh, you know, not me personally, but to all of us to say, uh, not only should you, not only do I, he was saying, look at things from a completely skewed angle, and I almost intentionally invert the photo when I, you know, I invert the painting when I come in for that reason. Right. He likes to turn things upside down. But he said, why don't you do it too? And it went sort of as we progressed with him in class, from, it went from a sort of quality of why don't you try to 
I'm waiting. Right. And now it's too, and, and now I'm getting pissed off because you're not. Oh my God. And he would get mad eventually when he was like, you're not going far enough. You're not looking at things. You're not turning that, that painting upside down and, and at least considering it. And that kind of was what used to piss him off a little bit. I forgot all about that. And I'm so glad you reminded me because that was, I remember him yelling at me saying, stop playing characters and play yourself. And I'm like, but I'm used to playing characters. He's like, no, no, no. And, I, and, and at first I was like, what am I gonna do? And then after a while I realized he's, asking me, and this is what I teach, and this is what I direct, he is essentially in his hardened, cold way, being a midwife to my voice. Yes. He is asking me, do it, say it, go and do it. Because yeah. if you don't, I'm disappointing, you know, you're disappointing me, but ultimately you have to know that you're missing out on an opportunity to find out another facet of who it is that you are. Absolutely, and, and he, he, you know, he's encouraging you to do something way outside your comfort zone. Right. And uh, he wants you to do it. He wants you to do it here where, you know, we're around. We'll catch you mm -hmm. uh, if, it's, if it's a really bad situation. You won't get hurt. It will not show up in the papers. It will not reflect badly on you, and you'll have learned something or you'll have decided that maybe that's not the way and you'll right. try something else. Right, but at least you tried it. Mm -hmm. Because we would do fucked up stuff like two heralds at one time. Right. You know, where you have 12 people on one side of the stage and 12 people on another side of the stage and we do simultaneous heralds mm -hmm. and you go, there's a fucking, this is cacophonous. Mm -hmm. And what you realized about that was, it's cacophonous. Yes, well, you know, that's your takeaway. It's like, that's a lot it is, of sound. But you were listening like a motherfucker. No, clearly, right. clearly listening like a motherfucker and also saying, okay, in the grand scheme of things, at first you're like, I can't hear. And then it forces you, I can't listen. And then it forces you to listen on a different level. And the moment that you're forced to listen on a different level, then everything from that moment forward has changed. Mm -hmm. In the in the artist, in the actor, in the what you became a writer, but also as an actor as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't often know. I don't. I'm not often aware of what I'm using from the, that period when I'm using it until later. And I feel like there's a perversity that was encouraged by Dell, a perversity to go against direction, which is a really bad idea if you're going to be a professional writer or actor because you do get a bit of direction and if you fight against all of it right no one's gonna want to work with you right so it wasn't about being uncooperative but it was about being somewhat perverse I right. think some of his more important uh, messages there's so many of them too it's very hard to even recall in, in any kind of orderly way all the things we were hearing from this well it's more person. experiential than yeah. it is anything else yeah. and, and, he, I, and I, I look at the people that that came from your time and that you've worked with it mm -hmm. or your colleagues certainly writing and those are people like um, uh, Andy Richter and Brian McCann and Brian Stack and l like those folks who that per that perversity is that what you call it yeah I would say it was that perversity, perversity you know to look at those people and to say it's not about you offering that kind of shit to, to, to the producers, but it's the way that you look at things that makes you different than anybody else. And then it's those options that you're talking about that makes Conan show Conan show mm -hmm. because those writers on Conan show have that same background. Well, Dell had a uh, silver bullet in his pocket this whole time while he's trying to tell us to be a little bit counterintuitive, to not make obvious choices and to be sort of perverse in the way that we look at people and situations, he knew that agreement was the silver bullet in, the, in his pocket. Right. And if we used it, we would have a silver bullet in our pocket. You and I can disagree completely about everything we think, but using agreement in an improv scene, we're gonna have a successful scene. Oh, God. And he 
really hammered that home. Right, and I really wonder, like nowadays people, because there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a mural on the wall right here of a guy, mm -hmm. and I think a lot of people go, oh, who's that guy? And it's like, that's fucking Dell. Right. And I don't want to make him a necessarily a, a, like, a, like a cult of personality, yeah. but there is an underlying flavor to everything that happens here. And I look at someone like James Grace, who's, who's carrying the torch here, and I look at all these other teachers that are here that have worked with Dell and have that sensibility, and, and now we're going, okay, this is how it's done. And we're also encouraging people to fuck up. Oh yeah, and, uh, and, and, and hopefully, you know, our, our encouragement, if we're doing the right thing and if we're carrying the torch properly, it, we are saying make mistakes, make him as, make him as quick and as fast and as, and as brilliantly as you can, and, uh, and, and make him, but, but be aware of him and, 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 and know that like those mistakes lead to these discoveries and lead to these sort of different ways of looking at things. If you didn't take that opposite point of view, if you didn't look at things perversely, if you weren't curious, if you just played, if you were just Dave playing characters instead of doing what Del told you, right, right, uh, you would have missed out on all of these other ways of doing things. I love what you said about curious, being mm -hmm. curious, because I think being curious <laughs> is such a major part of what it is that we do. And I think that that's something that I learned not just with Dell, but also at Second City, and working with people at Second City, working with Martin DeMott, and working with Dell, because certainly, I've talked about this in the podcast before, that Dell was always asking you what book you're reading, or what, what French film you saw, and that kind of thing. And, and if you want, for a while there, you can go, I don't, I, I don't know, but, after, but even if you don't know, it makes you go, oh, there's another book that I can, watch, that, yeah. that I can read? There's something else that I can do? And yes. it's, a, it's a game changer. Well, it, it is, and he, and he never, ever, uh, started a class without telling us what film he had just seen, what book he was reading. He was always reading uh, more than one at a time. Right. And he was always referencing some sort of something that had caught his attention recently. Right. And sometimes it was something really kind of uh, ephemeral or vapid or dumb or just something silly that was going on. Right. You know, the Cubs are in first place type thing. Uh, it might be a little bit trivial, but he would find some, he would like talk about it till he got because the first part of Dell's class was usually sort of a Dell-a-log, as right. he called it. And he would get to a point <laughs> when he'd spin through the trivial details of this stuff that was on his mind, and then he would come to this conclusion or tie it to another bit more profound thing that he'd been talking about recently or last week. And you'd see these, a trivial topic or a silly thing synthesized with a more profound thing and go, any real place that you want to step off from, any topic you wish to, to just embark upon will lead you to something primary, important, or you know, special. Right. If you give it time and you let these things play. Right. And what he would also do is he would take all that that you mentioned and then he would say, okay, we're going to now do an exercise that is based upon that. The yes. being in first place. Somehow, it's not, it's not first place. Yeah. But I remember he was the first person that talked about fundamentalism to me. And I, and I was like going, fundamental, and I wanted to make a joke about it's mental or whatever it's going yeah. to be. And he's like, no, that won't work. And then looking at all these other people that were around us who were smart as well, and Dell surrounded himself with smart people. Your Pasquazes yeah, and sure. your John Judds. And, and, and I mention these people a lot. But at the end of the day, if you aren't surrounding yourself with people that challenge you in a good way, then get the fuck out of there because you don't have to be there. Uh, yeah, I think uh, that most people are, you know, most, most of the people that we know best and, uh, and, and still play with and perform with and talk to on, on a regular basis are friends we made at Improv Olympic. Uh -huh. And the friends that I made at Improv Olympic, I'm performing with tonight, later on. 
uh, including some people that were, uh, you know, that I was watching at the time. So it's 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 a it's a it's a it's this ongoing thing. It is never going to go away. I expect I'll probably know these people till the day I die. Right. And I've known them so far, and I'm going to keep knowing them, and I'm probably going to keep performing with them. They all have the same combination of daring and generosity and curiosity and perversity, and they all have this. I mean, they're not all the same type of folk, but they all have these things in abundance. Right. And, and these are the qualities that Dell seemed to really chiefly encourage. Right. Although but he was blown away by funny people. And the first person to say, that performer is funny and there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> he would say, it, you know, and, right. and it would seem to go against, I was like, well, that didn't seem very smart. So I don't even like, oh, some things aren't. Right, made me laugh. Some things are just, Darn funny. But he also had very, and I, I don't know how we got, every once in a while I'm going, do we really have to talk about Dell? And then we end up talking about Dell. Um, but he also had very little patience for, for people. He, uh, what's that phrase? Um, not, not having, uh, um, not suffering fools. Yes, exactly. He didn't yeah. suffer fools easily or whatever the fuck that is. Um, but he wouldn't, and I remember him going off on people mm -hmm. as well. And that's the, that's the, you know, I talk about the softer side of Sears. That's the Craftsman Tool side of Sears, where you go, he was a fucking asshole. Right. But then, on the uh, away from Craftsman Tools and over towards women's lingerie, Dell also was frail at unexpected moments. And I know, like you say, we are talking about him an awful lot, but it's it's natural for us to want to do this. Like, he's a real primary source for a lot of us. He was unexpectedly frail. He got a terrible review in a theater show he was doing. Uh, someone in Chicago had written up a bad review of, of Dell's performance. And he told us in class that he was affected by the review so much that he was probably going to change his performance. He was going to change his characterization for later that week when wow. he was going to be on stage. We broke after class, we broke up as we always did. We went to the nearest bar to have some you know, inexpensive pictures of beer and stuff and talk about what we heard that night and what we did. The first topic that came up uh, around our table was, why would you change your performance based on something a theater reviewer said? Right. No one could believe, accept, or even understand. It sounded so unprincipled to us. Well, it's also coming from him. And it sounded, it was like watch. it was like hearing your dad cry or something. Right, and it was right. very bizarre. Yeah. And we all were a bit mystified and frankly a little spooked by it all. We're right. like, why? That seems weak. That doesn't seem like, it, that doesn't seem in step with anything he said. It was years later that I thought, maybe he thought, and I don't know what was motivating him at the time, it was just a conversation we had one night in one class many years ago. But I thought later, maybe he thought he fucked up. Maybe he thought, I didn't get through to my audience and that was my mistake. Maybe I've gotta work harder. Maybe I've gotta change it up to do it. Now, I don't know, I wasn't in that play, I wasn't right. in that cast, I ain't the director, and I wasn't, I didn't perform with Dell. I wasn't lucky enough to have done that. Right. But if that, is, if that was what was motivating him to change his performance, I'm not one to argue with that reasoning. If he thinks, and, and I want to bring it into like things that we can all do and learn from today instead of you know like looking back onto the Dell thing, like what can we use from him? I was like, maybe, maybe something important about that particular well, thing that, that was that, hey, if you're not getting through to the audience, that's on you. Right. Uh, work a little harder, right. try a little harder. Right. Now, no one's saying, and I, I never heard him say it, and I don't believe it myself, that you've got to change your material to suit an audience. You can't anticipate what they're going to want, think, or feel from you, uh, feel from about you, or, or want from you. But 
if you feel like you're swinging and missing, if you feel like you're not connecting, you might be right. Right. And, and, and oftentimes, I think the, the agent of change in that story is going to have to be you. I think you're the one that has to find a different or better way to express yourself. And connect. Yeah. I think there's a, we, there's a lot of people that hopefully are, who are listening that do comedy and, and want to do comedy and want to pursue it. We all know that it's a conversation that comedians have about audiences. Some of them we like and some of them we don't like. Right. Some of them we cut down and some of them we, we, we compliment. But really, if you take them as the platonic ideal of an audience, mm -hmm. they're nothing but good to us. Right. They're the people God, we're there for. huge. So, and I think Dell was being platonic about it. He was saying that, I think in his heart of hearts, and who knows if I'm right about this, but it's a wild guess, he thought, that reviewer's a jag off and I don't care what he thinks. Right. But something was wrong with my performance. Right. Because if that dummy didn't get it, I'm doing it wrong. I think it also has to do with the idea of, of connecting, not just because a lot of people who listen to this podcast aren't in comedy, okay. and I think a lot of people, I'm, not, I'm just saying, yeah. I, I get what you're saying, yeah. but there's also a lot of people aren't in comedy, and there's a, that, that, that platonic idea also has to do with connecting with people to, to admit, you know what, I can't be so cocky as to think that I'm, 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 I'm always right. Yeah. So no matter what the fuck it is that you're doing, you've got to give yourself the option to go, I could be wrong. And if I'm wrong, to fucking swallow it and to know that this is a learning experience and to say, if I'm going to eat pretzel, hot dog, wine, <laughs> vodka, I better take a motherfucking cab home. The Malnati's too, don't right. forget. Because all that I was, was I was literally three blocks away from my house. Mm. But my point is that and, it's yeah. also the idea of, it's my point, <laughs> my point is that and we're all here to, to experience life. And if I'm living inside of my head and saying, I'm right and you're wrong, then, then I'm missing out on something. Now, I don't have to agree with you. Oh yeah, yeah, oh no, no, I got, we don't have to agree, right. I got, absolutely. Right. Because we use the device of agreement mm -hmm. to get our ideas across and communicate them to each other. Right. And then, and, and also through the agreement that we use with the audience, which is they give us a suggestion to start the entire performance. Right, so or that's not. that's a form of agreement, or they don't. Or they don't. But, but certainly their willingness to you know, participate, right. whether, that's it's in, right whether it's vocalized or not, is, is part of this overall, this big meta agreement that we're all in, that we're all a party to. And, um, that, and these, this technique of agreement allows us to have the cacophony of, you know, ha happen and still be able to hear every voice in it. Right, right? to open ourselves up, yeah. because I am eager, and it's what I teach my students, it's what I you know, don't teach them, but, but, but expose them to, it's the idea of, I want you to be eager, I don't want you to be eager to talk, I want you to be eager to respond. Because if you're eager to respond, then you get to listen to that person. If you're eager to talk, then you don't give a fuck about that person. I, I agree, absolutely, and I think your reaction that you know, if there if there's an art to to, to, to this, it's it, it's it's in reaction, uh -huh. and your reaction is going to be a lot more organic, and it, and it's going to be more true to your vision of the world and how you see yourself and others. If you've really listened and experienced what the person is talking about, mm -hmm. if you're considering what what those values are that you're hearing, right. you know, the scenic values or the whatever the information is, if you're really considering that, it's gonna come from a better place if you fully just let it in and listen to it okay. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited that we're at this point. Because, <laughs> and I'll tell you why. You did a scene in Paradigm Lost, the suicide scene? 
Was that Paradigm Lost? Okay. With a gun, and you're putting the oh, gun in your mind. Right, yes. Right? Guy, yes. Right? It was. So it's a suicide scene about you and your son or something like mm -hmm, that, right? Mm -hmm. And it was one of the most beautiful fucking pieces I have ever seen. And I still love that piece from that show, which is a show full of great pieces. Sure. So that was, again, the context that we're looking at, saying the audience is with you. You were, you had a gun out and you were about, a, a mime gun, right? Yeah, uh, and, yeah Was it a mime gun? It was may it? have been a... I think it was a real starter uh, pistol or something yeah, like that, yeah. right? Right, and you were going to kill yourself in yeah. that, right? I felt like we did try it. You might have seen it in previews with a mime gun. We ended up going to start a pistol so it would play better. Got it. I think I saw scary. it. I saw it in a three camera deal. Yeah, yeah. But the piece itself was so on the edge. And at the end, it was really edge. And at the end of this, it was like you, your character resolved not to kill yourself. Yes. And then you put the gun down. Can't remember. Then you took the gun, put it in your yes, mouth, right. clicked the trigger, and the lights went black. Right. Kevin, that was one of the most beautiful scenes I have ever seen at Second City. Oh, Played so out so simply goodness. and so lovely. And I hope that you look back on that scene and get and, and feel proud about that thing. Yeah, I, I, I haven't thought of it in quite a long time. Now you're bringing it up and it is coming back to me pretty much in a rush. Uh, there, there isn't much about that show that I can't look back on with a lot of pride. Even the parts I wasn't in. Right. Because that show was so collaborative. It was directed so well by McNapier. We had such a fine cast, and it was just a really great moment. You know, a really great run of, of luck there, 12, 14 weeks, whatever it took to put it up. Ugh. And we got to run this thing, and, and, and it, made it, it had a great effect on people. Right. It's, it's, it's phenomenal to hear a compliment on that. 14 or 18 or how many years? Well, I've been out here for 18 or 19 years, Jeez. so I mean, it could have been during that time. Right. But that's talking about the collaborative process. That's talking about opening yourself up. Mm -hmm. That's also talking about how everybody is working towards towards one particular goal. And also for you not to be afraid that you're you're doing a suicide scene. Yeah, you know, uh, actually, yeah, I, I, I kind of did throw it off me for a second. I probably should circle around to me. Right. I had right just then, uh, right around then, uh, I had just lost a parent. Yes. And I was going through a miserable grieving process. Mm -hmm. There, there's so much of my, uh, uh, there's so much of my uh, most, you know, my most uh, overwhelming, uh, one of the most overwhelming experiences of my whole life is my dad, you know, dying suddenly, uh, luckily, uh, that it, you know, it wasn't a lingering illness, but he just died of a heart attack. And it took me so by surprise, as it does, it does to anybody, I'm sure, and it took me, uh, it was my first big ride as an adult uh, of right. finding out what loss uh, like that could, could be and, and, and how, how profound it could be. Uh, I didn't even understand then. It took me years to sort of understand uh, the, the, you know, the, the depth of, of, of losing my dad. But right then and there, I happened to also be writing a show at Second City. So <laughs> the great thing about it was I had something to do every day and I had somewhere to put these feelings and all these overwhelming you know, impulses that were coming up so quickly in, in, such a, in such a chaotic order, I had a place to put them into these scenes and I had this wonderful director that knew I was miserable. Right. And he's a very intuitive and wonderful guy. I had no and agenda other than. Just wants to see me do good. Exactly. Right? Right. And, uh, and he's, he's enforcing and a big believer in a lot of things you were re referencing earlier about mm -hmm. when you're teaching, when you're directing, when you're enabling people to, to, to reach their potential. He's just trying to do that. Mm -hmm. He also is taking care of me as a human being right. and saying that human being is in a lot of misery. This performance could be the difference between having a really good life right now and not. 
even though his life sucks because his dad died, he can at least have a good show tonight. The way to make that happen is to give him a simple set of things to achieve in this one scene. Right. He'll do it. I know the guy, he's a born doer of things <laughs> if I tell him. He'll listen to me and he'll go with it. And we might get somewhere with that. Right. So that's, you know, a lot of things go into making that scene so memorable for you. Right. But the great thing is, I guess, and I should, like I say, keep it on me for a second, is uh, that I did something I didn't think I could do. Right. Uh, so I did do that. Right. I never would have known. Oh, but when I get to main stage, I want to make sure to do a scene about a guy trying to kill himself. <laughs> so I got to this point where that's how I felt. Right. I felt like dying. You know, like it's a death. It's a, you, you know, everyone knows uh, to some degree what grief is like, and it's 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 the most oppressive and and. It's uh, also grief pain. is a really interesting. It's an interesting emotion because grief isn't just sadness. Because if it was sadness, it would be called sadness. Right. Yeah. Grief is is sadness and love and anger, mm -hmm. like that's what grief is. And when you're going through grief, you've got to keep going. It's what uh, Winston Churchill says about when you're going through hell, keep going. Because that grief is going to, that is going to help you get to the other side of that. And grief isn't just, this is clearly like a loved one dying, but grief is also the death of a relationship, the yes. death of a job, the death of a project, like all that shit. The death of, you know, of, of an apartment that you love, whatever it's going to be, your car, whatever the fuck it is. Live that grief and, li and, and because as artists we go, as an actor I go, I get to have that grief. Mm -hmm. But everybody fucking gets to have that grief. Well, right, and if you can, if, if, if you're putting it on, if you're putting it on wheels for people, if you're showing people what it's like to be that, that uh -huh. unhappy and, and, and what you, you know, what you're experiencing, let's, I mean, it may not be obvious to an audience that a performer has just lost a parent, for right. instance. But there's something going on with that person because it's making this performance extremely acute. It's making this thing very vivid somehow. There's something that's driving this performer right now. It might have been actually a breakup or uh, a, you know, a car getting towed. It could be any of, uh, it doesn't even have to be bad things. It could be great things. Right. Uh, but if it's making it so vivid for the for the actor, it's making it vivid for the audience. Right. It's at least giving them a chance to see w what that heightened state is like, and maybe if the information is is helpful, you know, the information in the scene is helpful, it may be leading them to at least stimulate them about to contemplate, think about, or wonder about these things in their life, whatever they might be. They they have a different set of circumstances right now that they're experiencing and times 300 if the room's got 300 people. There's a story of uh, 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 Buddy Abbott and Lou Costello and one of the first times, if not the first time that they did Who's on First. <laughs> and, and it could have been, it might not have been the first time but it was one of the times they did it on the radio. Lou Costello's daughter died that day. Oh. And he went on and did it. I have he no idea. did it. Today I read the obituary of Gene Stapleton who played Edith Bunker. Mm -hmm. Edith, Edith went, uh, uh, Gene Stapleton went from that show to do regular theater, she, she uh, to do legitimate theater in a small theater. Her husband died that afternoon. That night she went on stage. And we look at those things and we say, okay, what is the reason? And what you're, what you're speaking about of, of, of you're going through this, this grief and Mick saying, get the, no, you going through this grief and you saying, I get to be distracted by this creative process through that. Yeah. And there's no better way to do that than to say, I am on this planet yeah. at this moment to create and to be this thing that allows me to take 
allows me to take rest, um, to, to, uh, allows me to, to uh, takes me away from the reality that's happening right now, and I get to live in this fucking playground of art. Yeah, but then I, but I'm up on this stage, I'm, I, I get to go away from reality, and what do I end up playing with? I'm playing with my own with my own miserable Mortality. situation. Yeah. Right. right, but you're playing with your miserable situation. I am playing with and it. what's also happening is there are 300 people in the fucking audience yeah. who are laughing at you putting a gun in your mouth. True, I know, that's a weird reaction. It's not normally funny when someone puts a gun in their mouth. Right. It got a laugh though in this scene that Dave's talking about it really, it consistently got a laugh that this guy wanted to blow his face off. Right. Because by the way, you'd seen him earlier in the show and you knew he was Kind of an asshole. Mm -hmm. Well, he kept. There was a callback. Yeah, I was miserable about my company. Right. I was miserable about, right. about my job. I was miserable right. about my life. Mm -hmm. I, was this, I was this guy that, frankly, probably should have pulled the trigger. Right. And, and we don't know that he did. Kind but of they, funny about right. it was I think the audience was like, well, go, go, you know what? Hey, ass, go ahead. Like one, one less guy like you isn't really gonna bother anybody. <laughs> But Mick fashioned the scene in such a way so they were like, well, good. I'm glad you didn't do it. Because maybe, you know what? Maybe there's a one in a thousand chance that you won't be the jerk we think you are. Right. I don't, you know, based on other things in the show, they might be thinking, who knows? That guy could turn around. There was a big entrance in that scene uh, of Rachel Dratch as a sort of a angelic um, figure, a nun, right. singing a sort of inspirational climb every mountain type song. <laughs> and it was really absurd. It was a really absurd element of the scene. But that's sort of what interrupted my... Oh, she my, did that, yeah. and it interrupted you. It interrupted like, the suicide right. attempt. And then it interrupted the suicide, and we all went, oh, there's going to be a happy ending. And then you put the gun right. in your mouth, and then the lights go black. Yeah. It's like, okay, good. Because nobody fucking likes a happy ending. No one. You know? <laughs> that guy. No, no, no. And, and here's another thing about that show, though, is who was in a coma in that show? Jim. Jim Zulovic, yeah. who, who passed away a number of years ago. Did. So we're looking at that and going, what the... Fuck. Mm. Well, it's 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 uh, it's pretty. Uh, like I said, it's, it was one of my first experiences as an adult with with that kind of with that loss. I mean, as a kid, I'd been to a few funerals, like most kids. Right. But it didn't matter. It didn't sink in much. They were friends of my parents and so forth. Uh, they weren't important to me in some way. I mean, they were. I was still. It's a funny kid. we're talking about this, and there's an ambulance going by right now. Okay, uh, keep going. Uh, well, there's there's plenty more where that came <laughs> from. Uh, by a fire station. Uh, the as, it's, as it was such a big, like I said, big and primal experience losing my dad, now this person that cast that isn't here anymore, and someone we both know, someone right. we both had a lot of respect for, worked with, and spent a lot of free time around. This is a really great, this was a really great performer, Jim Zulovic, who died in 2007. One of, not the first friends I had to pass away, but one in an alarming sequence of friends of right. mine that passed away within the last Was it Farley so. around that time as well? Well, Chris died in the, in the 90s, and, and Jim died That's about right. 10 years later. Right. Right. But it was an alarming you know, uh, trend as I was just rounding into my 40s to find out that some people were gonna just suddenly check out. And I felt like um, that having done that show with him, that, that's a big deal to me. I'll always be able to look back on that and I'll always, that, that's always alive to me that, that Jim was with me every, you know, every night and we got to improvise with Scott, Rachel, and all these other. Scott Adsit. Yeah, Rachel. Scott Adsit, Rachel. Dratch, John Jalovitz, and oh, Tina Fey. Tina Fey. And, and what he had this to tremendous, she disappeared, you know what? <laughs> Off the radar screen. But that happens. I'll bet she's happy. <laughs> she's probably happier where she is. <laughs> and here's the thing, like, we had that wonderful experience and right. we had all, these, all this time with Jim. Now that he's not there, that's what I get. Right. 
And now that he's, what do you mean? That's what you get. Now that I, he's not there. I get to think about that. Time. Right. I get to think about, you know, because when you're in a cast with somebody, obviously, uh, to every performer who's listening or watching, you know that you're not going to uh, see eye to eye on every single thing. But now I get to think about the things that I disagree with Jim about. Right. Because someone said something once to me about me and Jim that I really enjoyed. They said, you guys don't seem to like many of the same things, but you hate all the same stuff. <laughs> so I thought that made us a good scene partners. Is that agree to disagree? Yeah. Is that agree to disagree? That made us pretty good scene partners. And now I get to think about some of the things that we didn't like quite the same way. Right. And I get a lot more out of uh, knowing Jim that way uh, now that he's gone. Because, you know, it's not a one-sided conversation. Right. But... I vividly recall the things he, you know, that he liked and didn't like. He was always opinionated. Oh my God! It's easy to fucker like to drink remember. too. Oh. I remember going to Chicago and it was like last call for alcohol. Like Jimmy got to go. It's like no, I don't have to go. No. And then uh, so the bar closed. It was around the Gold Coast, and the bar closed, and we got to hang out. And then Seika, the porn star, came in. That's Do you correct. remember his relationship with Seika, yes. the porn star? Yes. Good friends like, with she, her. Yeah, good, uh, good friends with her, and we hung out the entire night. Drinking and laughing, mm -hmm. it was fucked up. I know his favorite night of the year was always the uh, that night when the clocks were changed and the bars would stay open an extra hour. <laughs> it, was just, it was his acknowledged. He said it more than once. It was right. my favorite night of the year. Right, right, it's right. It's just another hour of being at a bar, but to him it was great. I, I love the idea of when someone when someone passes on that because for me in a, in a in a very um, in my own way I have that with my dog. Um, like at, when my dog, when we had to put my dog down, um, I I know this sounds weird, but I cherish those moments where you carry that dog to the vet and the dog puts and the vet puts the dog down because you're able to watch this thing that you love lose its shell that it's killing it and the spirit goes away. But I always feel every day I wake up and my dog's still there. The stories are still there. His bed is still there. Uh, not his bed is still there, mm -hmm. but his bones are still there. Like all of that, not his bones, bones, but you understand what I mean? I, I do know. Right. Uh, it, just, it, it's still a part. It's still a part of what you're, of what you're going through. It's still right. part of your life. Right. Now, Dell passed in 99, and as you point out, his picture's on the wall, and we talk about him a lot, and it comes up in every conversation you probably have on this a show. Lot of, a lot of them. But here we go. How are we going to make that important to us and keep that in our lives, and especially to the people that never were uh, fortunate enough to have met him? The way we do that is we try to do his message, we try to perform his message, and we try we to do We don't try, we do. Right, sure, we do. Right. We, you know, we, we, we insist on it, actually. Right. Yeah, we insist on it. It's our that. default. Sure. And that's our, we know our plan B. We know all of these metaphors we've been using, our silver bullet in our pocket is always agreement. We're always going to try to be, or we should always, and we have to insist on it from, each, from ourselves and each other, and we have to insist on it in our own life. We got to insist on staying curious. We've got to insist on staying daring. We've got to insist on staying generous. And we got to remember that Dell's one of his big messages back to audiences for a second was assume that they're as smart or smarter than you and you right. can't go wrong. So you can't look down on them. You can't condescend to them. And you can't preach to them either. You hated that more than you hated anything. You hated right. preachiness. Um, we're going to end there. Thanks. That was fucking great, dude. Right. That was really good. That was a really. You nailed it, man. You fucking stuck the landing. Uh, Kevin Dorf, everybody. Thank you, everybody. Today's episode was sponsored by GoDaddy. Thinking about starting a new website? GoDaddy is offering one new or transfer.com for just $1.99 for the first year. Go to GoDaddy.com and enter the code ADDCOMEDY at checkout or click on the GoDaddy banner on our website.
addcomedy.com. Hello, ADD Comedy Podcast listeners. Dave Rozowski here. First off, thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. And second off, if you've ever wanted to take a class with me but thought, gosh, I don't think I'll ever be around where David is, know that you can now take the virtual class at iActing. Just check our website out, and there's a link there. Click on that link, and that will set you up. you got to do a little hunting, but I think that it's well worth it. We'll hear you in your ears. Bye. Thank you for listening to the ADD Comedy Podcast. For Dave Rozowski, I'm Ian Foley. For more information on ADD Comedy, you can visit our website at www.theaddcomedytour.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at ADD Comedy Pod. If you're in the Los Angeles area and you're interested in taking a class with Dave, you can find that information at his website at www.davidrozowski.com. Sound services for the ADD Comedy Podcast was brought to you by Post Apocalyptic.